Hello, everyone, and such a warm welcome to you all this evening. I know some of you are coming in from Canada, and we actually have some people registered from Japan, as well as the United States. So a warm welcome to you. This is Restorative Justice on the Rise. We've been a podcast of restorative justice and peacebuilding dialogues looking at mass incarceration and solutions to our criminal justice system since 2011. And I'm your host tonight, Molly Rowan Leach. I'm really honored to present to you our guests tonight and to have some conversation with them, which of course, per the norm of our live dialogues, will include you as you would like to submit questions and comments. Please do so at the Q&A tab at any time tonight. Just hop on over to the webcast, which will provide you a chat room with other participants on this call, as well as an, the ability to submit questions and comments for our honored guest speakers this evening. So we're going to dive right in tonight, and I just want to do a very brief introduction of who we're with and why we're here. The topic tonight is the title of a recently um, award-winning released documentary that was featured at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, and it won the award of Best Documentary Social Justice. And that's, of course, The Prison Within, The Way Out is Through. And this, this is an extraordinary documentary. Um, for those of you that uh, are looking to have it in your hometown, to find out more about it, just surf over to the webcast page again. We've posted a direct link from our webcast page to the website of the, the film, as well as just below, you'll see there's a press kit that includes all the bios of everyone involved in the film and more information um, about the overall structure of the film and, you know, again, the people involved. So you've got some handy links tonight to guide you over to those pages. Again, this is Restorative Justice on the Rise. After this live dialogue is complete, it will drop as a podcast within a week of this session at restorativejusticeontherise.org. It also streams out into iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, to name a few. Thank you for joining us tonight. This is a public forum and we're really looking forward to this conversation. So, of course, who we have with us tonight are the amazing Troy Williams. Um, Troy is an incredible human being. I had the opportunity to spend time with him at the 2017 Oakland National Restorative Justice Conference, and we got to spend some time talking about his experience as, as a formerly incarcerated person. He's a subject of this film, He's also the cinematographer. He also has um, recently in 2018 was awarded the Soros Justice Fellowship. And there's other things that he's doing that are incredible and media related, including podcasting and inspiring in, uh, men on the inside of San Quentin to learn how to do their own podcasting and storytelling projects um, that, again, he'll probably mention in tonight's dialogue and conversation. Uh, we also have producer Erin Kenway, who is an attorney, and she does incredible work in the field of um, social justice. She's worked with Amazon. 
she obviously did an incredible job with this film. And then we also have former Los Angeles public defender and first filmmaker to have access to a VOEG process in San Quentin, which is an extraordinary look. This film is an extraordinary look, direct look into the circles that um, were conducted um, some of them, of course, by Sonia Shaw from the Ahimsa Collective and and others in the film. So that's Catherine Hervey, who's with us as well. And tonight, I just want to honor and welcome our guests and all of the energy and time that went into this and have them each uh, just say a little bit more about themselves and their role in the film if they'd like. And we'll dive into some questions about the genesis of the film to start out. So Troy, let's start with you. And again, it's just a delight to have you here with us tonight. Absolutely. I'm glad to, I'm glad to be here. And uh, I miss hanging out with you in Oakland. <laughs> It'd be good to see you again sometime soon. Um, yeah, I just I guess I want to just start off by showing my appreciation for Catherine and for Aaron and for the work that's being like done and exposed like through this film, um, which you know is pretty groundbreaking in my humble opinion. Um, I guess mm -hmm. a little about myself is um, I first met Catherine um, while I was serving time inside prison. They came in as this outside sort of film crew. Um, and we, you know, we hit it off. Um, I was appreciative of how she came in and what she wanted to do. Um, and I was doing time. And so um, anytime that we can try to utilize someone who's willing to help us represent our voice to the outside world is always um, positive. And, um, but shortly um, thereafter, working with her um, inside, I, um, I was paroled and I came home and then became a um, subject in the film from the outside um, and sort of this voice from the outside, which once again is perfect um, for me in the sense that um, I have something to say uh, and I want it to be heard. And this is one of the venues to which it is happening. Mm. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. And um just want to open up uh, to Aaron. Again, that's Aaron Kenway, the producer. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you so much for having us. Um, again, shout out to Catherine. I wouldn't be involved in this film if it weren't, if it weren't for her. Um, the subject spoke to me the second we met. And it really is, for me, The Prison Within is kind of a culmination of, of all the um, education and life experiences that I've had. And um, I've really seen as an attorney witnessing firsthand the inadequacies of our legal system to remedy residual traumas from the harm and inequity um, in access to legal resources um, on even the civil side, uh, particularly with domestic violence cases. Um, that was my practice area. And um, as a crime survivor myself, I knew that um, from my own experience that there's a false personification, that this justice system provides closure and solace for crime victims, mm -hmm. and it doesn't. And as a filmmaker, mm -hmm. um, I've been lucky enough to have the opportunity to educate on the importance of criminal justice reform through a different medium in a way that can humanize 
um, the individuals in our community that are often, quote, othered by um, by media, by um, by systemic um, racism that, that exists within, within this country. Mm. Wow. I'm so glad that um, you shared a bit more. It's about your background and, and also the fact that you're a crime survivor yourself. Um, what an extraordinary mix of wisdom and hands-on experience that you bring, Erin, and I'm so grateful for you taking the time to be here. Uh, let's pass the mics, as it were, to Catherine. And uh, again, Catherine is the director of the film. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, thank you, Molly. Um, yeah, Catherine Hervey, director, producer of the film. And, um, you know, I just this film really comes out of my experience as a Los Angeles public defender, as a volunteer prison college instructor in a men's prison, as well as working with survivors in several different restorative justice contexts and really even personal relationships that I've had with people through the years who have been incarcerated. And, you know, I, from that, I really, I wanted to make a really intimate film that takes the viewer into the hearts and minds of the men and women in the film to show that but for a set of circumstances, this could have been me. This could have been me who committed this act of violence and mm -hmm. was sentenced to 30, 40 years in prison. And it was really in finding Jamie's story that led me inside San Quentin and into Vogue. But I, I won't mm -hmm. go into that yet. <laughs> I'll wait. <laughs> wow. Wow. Now, for everyone gathered here with us tonight, um, just a few words about the project with the tagline, everyone has a story. I just love how you frame it. Um, everyone has a story. And with this film, we aim to inspire a dialogue about trauma's debilitating impact on individuals and whole communities to expose the shared responsibility we all have to collectively heal our mass incarceration crisis and to motivate definitive community justice reform. And of course, um, the place that this is centrally filmed is San Quentin and the surrounding grounds for the most part. Um, and you know, you're talking too on your website um, about the prison crisis and that reformation of the criminal legal system is the next great civil and human rights battle. And uh, 6.7 million people are currently under correctional control. And as many of us know, we have the highest incarceration rate in the world, and not just by somewhat, by far. We, we are 5% or less of the global population in our world, and yet we house 25% of the world's prisoners. That right there is a statistic that has risen and has been illuminated exponentially, um, especially in the past five years, I would say. So for those of you curious about the film, wanting to bring it, um, wanting to support it, wanting to know more about it, go to theprisonwithin.org. And with that, let's kind of dive into the genesis of the film. Um, I know, obviously, it might be uh, a fairly um, rhetorical question given what our predicament is and what we're facing here um, with the justice 
um, pandemic. However, um, can you, Troy, maybe start us off with a bit of the genesis story of this film, um, either personally or as a team? What, how did it, how did the idea begin? Well, I, I think as far as how the idea began, there's probably, um, you know, I have, of course, I have my, my personal, um, um, I guess, genesis of my own story about the prison within. But as far as the film per se, or in particular, the, speaking about the film, that would be more of a, a, a Catherine question. But um, I will say that we oftentimes inside the prison system, and I've said for the longest time that um, I think maybe over the last two or three decades, we used to um, sit around on the prison yard and we would always say to each other that, you know, um, those of us who were attempting our transformation was like, we were, we came to the realization that we were, um, as we said, throwing rocks at the penitentiary long before we ever got to the penitentiary. Right. So I was in a prison I placed myself in this prison long before I ever got to a physical prison. I placed myself in an emotional um, and a psychological prison, right? Um, emotionally, I began to withdraw and sort of um, close myself off um, from people who maybe didn't have the same perspective as me or or in a, in a sense where I wanted to sort of like, um, um, as I saw to protect myself, I surrounded myself around um, people who sort of had the same mentality of what protection looked like. And I blocked myself off from being able to communicate or share with other people my emotional state for fear of how it would be received. And one thing that I learned from doing the work inside is that you cannot, um, your emotions will not be silent. If you don't find a positive way to deal with them, then they will come out in a negative way. And I think that's part of um, what this film is talking about in the sense that if we don't um, take a look at our trauma, if we don't take a look at why we think the way that we think about other human beings, then we're going to continue to have this us versus them mentality and those of us that have been down that road, whether you've been physically incarcerated or not, we realize that that just does not work. Mm. Aaron and Catherine, yeah. I'd love to invite you into the Genesis story here. One or the other of you, whichever would like to chime in on it next. How did it begin for you? Um, sure, I'll, I'll chime in here. Um, so, you know, like I was saying, I had the, the intent to kind of take the viewer into the stories of the men and women in the film to show that, you know, but for this trauma, this could have been me. And it was really in finding Jamie Carroll's story, who's in the film, that led me inside San Quentin and really into Vogue. I read Jamie's story in her own words. I found her story online. And what she was saying was that despite being, you know, brutally kidnapped and raped and assaulted as a young girl, along with other young girls, that she realized later that 
psychologically, she was not that different from the men who had assaulted her because of the trauma that she'd experienced because of it. And this was so, this was so interesting to me. It was so brave and vulnerable, vulnerable for her to say that. And I think that it's, it's in that place, that conflict that she was having with herself that, you know, that's the real juice, the real humanity in all of us lies. And I was, I was really interested in digging into that with each of the characters and, Another thing that was really important to me throughout the entire making of the film was to not make another film where another film about mass incarceration where everyone's walking out kind of shaking their heads and thinking, oh, my God, it's so big. The problem's so big. How are we how are we ever going to fix this? But to really offer some stories and some solutions of hope that we can come together as a community and fix this. Mm. You know, uh, my perception in watching the the film was that um, the woman that you were just describing, Jamie, um, you know, and, and also Sujata in her comments in the film um, that really mirror that, that space of, a both and, can we hold that both and within each of our individual realities that, that we can we are both victim and offender, so to speak. Um, and, and what are those implications? You know, what are the implications? So, um, Jamie really touched me. Her presence really felt angelic in a way, kind of, um, just one of those people that you, you could trust with anything. Um, a wonderful facilitation and, and what a life. And for those that are, are listening, Jamie, you know, has since passed on. Um, but as she says at the closure of the film, she, you know, the, you can connect with her through simply continuing this work, which I thought was so beautiful. So let, let's go to Aaron. Um, and Aaron, I'd love to hear from you if you'd like to add at all to, to the genesis of this film and, um, sure. As we got into the editing and post-production of, of really looking at all this footage we had and the intimate stories, Catherine and I, we talked a long time about not turning away from the uncomfortable reality that you're witnessing, the beauty in the stories, the humanity. Oftentimes, um, we see quote, prison movies take on different narratives, scared straight, or they co-opt voices of the very stories that need to be told. Um, without naming names, there's a new celebrity documentary, and it's a lot of um, um, one individual's journey in the prison as opposed to the stories within the prison. And, and we wanted to be very conscious about not co-opting that narrative. Um, and I think for me, what was so important was the value that my family taught me, which was choosing to do nothing is in itself taking a position. And so for me, I believe that choosing to do nothing about criminal justice reform was in itself taking a position. And I needed to be involved and thought that after my experience as an attorney, 
um, and seeing the, 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 the very small impacts that you have on it, it, they're massive for these individuals, but not for an entire community. And it was really important to me to use film as a medium to be able to kind of change the hearts and minds. And in the mm -hmm. wake of the powerful documentary 13th by Ava DuVernay, we really wanted to make sure we were showing, like Catherine said, the solutions of hope. She told an incredible mm -hmm. story about the history, how we got here, how it's impacting communities. And we want to show the humanity inside and how we can bring that humanity back to our communities and heal. And that's why we call it community justice reform. Mm. Thank you so much. So I'd, I'd love to turn the conversation towards the central process topic, um, which is VOEG, or Victim Offender Education Group. Um, and I'd, maybe let's have Troy start with this one, and then we can hand the mic over to, to Aaron and Catherine for, for additions. But let's talk about what, what that process entails. And also, could, could you share it? If I'm correct, I think this might be the very first time, not just in San Quentin, but in this format that, um, you know, that there's been a filming of these types of processes. So first, let's start by helping us understand a little bit more about the origins of Vogue, um, where it originated, which I believe was the Insight Prison Project in 2004, and weren't you involved with that? Yes, um, I was there pretty much from the beginning, but it actually started with some other um, incarcerated men who um, worked with um, volunteers from the community to develop this program. Like this was a program that was developed both by incarcerated um, people and volunteers who came inside the prison. And, you know, it, like I just want to just go back to Jamie for a minute because the beauty about Jamie and people like her, you know, and my experiences have been very good with Jamie, with um, Rochelle Edwards, who was early on, helped develop this program, um, Karina, um, Sonia Shaw, you know, Sujathan. The beauty about people like this is that when they walk in, there is no I versus you. There is no... There's no concept. A lot of times people come in with the concept as though they're coming in to help you become a better human being, and they mm -hmm. don't actually see how um, your partnership helps you both become better human beings, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that's, the, that's mm -hmm. the, the reason why Jamie and people like Jamie are able to reach people is because they're able to look at, somebody else's humanity is being tied together with their own. And that, that makes a world of difference when you're working with people. Um, and, and because it's not, the person who comes in and pretends like they've got it all together, we know they don't, right? And it comes off as fake and phony, and what you end up with is a group that's fake and phony. But when people come in and they are able to humble themselves and you see, well, yeah, this person gets angry. This person has issues. This person has rage. This person has everything that I have. They just maybe have a different way of handling some of the situations that, that differently. And that's what the insight they can give me, right? And they, we know that it's a, um, that we're tied together in this, and that's the beauty of it. But, you know, in a nutshell, Vogue um, – you know, like I said, we're started by both 
people in side and volunteers um and our goal was to like we want to become we want to become like better human beings we 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 want to become um we want we realize the error of our ways um of what led us to prison and we want to deal with that reality and we also want society to deal with the reality of the error of its ways as well right like we're tied in this together right mm-hmm. um i think that's that's the beauty of it um is that realization is that our humanity is wrapped up in each other I I love that point, Troy, because throughout the film, there's a thread about hurt people hurt people. And, Uh you know, that really is a a deep truth in so many ways. And yet there's more to it than it being simply about the people. It's also about the system. It's about the context in which we are oppressed and harmed and how that feeds the you know the wounding and trauma is being passed down. Um, did, Absolutely. Are, is that what you're getting at? Um, was that what, what the, you were getting at? I just wanted to make sure that that was what you were getting at. The, no, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Because when you when you have, it's sort of like, and and this is this is the like the the beauty about like having somebody like. You know, for example, Dion in the film, right? Is that and what? Um, and I just always got to keep, like, give it up for Catherine on what she was able to, to um, splice together out of everybody's story. Is that like, so Dion sought to use the system to aid her in her revenge, right? What what I did as a gangbanger on the street was to utilize my own physical violence to aid in my in my um in my um search for justice when the system um was not working for me or working for people like me. Mhm. Right? And just and for so, the listeners, for participants, Dion was um, her her husband was murdered. And so yes. you know and, and she's coming from a perspective of really fighting for the death penalty. I got it. So um, right. The, the man who murdered her husband is, is currently sitting in death row, even though, um, as we were discussing in the green room in California, the, de- the death row um, or the, the, the um, death sentence is now uh, commuted, I guess. Is that what they call it, yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to, to give people a little context there. Right. Yeah. So I mean, and you know, and so that's just the connection to, for people to be able to realize that, you know, the harm that I do to somebody else, it has an effect. And whether or not we call it criminal or not, when you do harm to another human being, it has an effect on that human being's life. Mm. Thank you. Aaron, was this the first time that a VOEG process was filmed and in this in this way? I will. I, I'm actually going to let Catherine answer that because she took so long to get the access, and so I think I, I want yeah. her to share her her story on that. Okay. Thank you. 
Yeah, I, I would say as, as far as I know, you know, this kind of um, more longer involved really intimate access to the circles and to the men while they were in circle and experiencing the whole process and going in there numerous times and watching their growth as they grew through the program um, was really, um, you know, an honor to film and, mm -hmm. and, to, and to witness for sure. And so, um, you know, lots of people have been into San Quentin to film. Um, they're actually pretty good about letting people in, I would say far more so than other prisons. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I was really allowed more specifically access to to these men and to, these, to this work in these particular Vogue circles and to really kind of go deep with it. Um, yeah. And I'm sure just from knowing the context in which, you know, all of you have described, the way that you came into this was with such respect and sensitivity. Um, thank you for that. You know, I, I, it just is so obvious that you went into this with such a heart for um, the cooperative that this involved and in permissions and and the vulnerability it required for all, for everyone in, in that film and in that process and the nuances that come with filming something so sensitive too. So just want to thank you for that. Thank and, you. Um, yeah, that really comes through very clear. Uh, I'd love to come back to Jamie. Um, I'd like to just um, go back to that phrase that is also the subtitle of this film, which is, of course, the only way out is through. And I'd love for you each, if you'd be willing to just talk about what it means and how it applies to the overall nature of Vogue, again, victim offender education groups and restorative justice work as an urgent response to punitive approaches to justice. So let's just have whoever would like to take it first go. I have your mics open. The only way out is through. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. That's a powerful uh, just, question. You know, I think, yeah. um, Molly, for, for those folks who are listening who may not be familiar with Vogue, um, let me just quickly um, give a quick um, kind of overview of what it is. It's um, a program that is supporting incarcerated individuals. Yeah, no problem. Um, and it's really a process that uses restorative justice philosophies to help individuals kind of connect the dots of their past traumatic and unresolved events in their lives in an effort to really come to terms with what ultimately led to um, the this change in behavior or mentality and thought um, that contributed to their offending behaviors. And what it really is about is repairing the trauma created by their environment, um, whether it's uh, school racism, you know, poverty, um, bullying, um, abuse, loss, thinking errors, any of that kind of stuff, and really making sure it's acknowledged and addressed. And then as part of that process, um, victims um, will come in 
to the circle with the men and it's an experiential process that really allows them to work together to heal the trauma. Um, the victim is not a victim of anyone in that room, a crime committed by anyone in that room. They are called surrogate victims. And so um, for Dion, who is in the film, who is um, a widow, and her crime experience was that of losing her husband to murder, we had her in circle with all the men um, who in that circle had committed murder and that, that crime. And so it's very powerful. And a lot of times we've seen prison movies where they talk about, um, you know, lower, lower offending crimes, robberies or drug offenses or things like that. I mean, we wanted to really get to the heart of the worst behavior because you'll see uh, or, or the quote, you know, worst thing that someone could ever do is taking the life of someone else's. Um, and I realize that might be up to for debate. But what really it's about that experience of identifying and addressing the unresolved trauma and also helping heal the victim themselves and the experience that they've had by talking and getting some answers that may, they may not have ever been able to have access to. Um, and that is really being that witnessing in the truth um, and bearing witness to each other is really what makes it so powerful and why it's such a long, intensive program. The Vogue model is over 52 weeks, and I don't want this to come across as um, something that, you know, happens in a week or two. <laughs> um, it's, a, right. you know, less than 90-minute right. film, but I want to be careful to, to, to show that this is a long process, and Catherine's access right. to the program was so valuable and important because she is following them through this process. I think Sonia Shah um, does a wonderful job at reiterating what you just said, too. She speaks very clearly to the length of the linear time that's involved on multiple Absolutely. occasions throughout the film. Yeah, so that's appreciated, too. Erin, do you know um, what the status is now uh, as far as Vogue programs nationally or internationally? Uh, we I don't can have the statistics on that. There are a lot of programs that are sometimes called Victim Offender Dialogues, VODs. Um, so the terminology yeah. is not universal. I know that... Um, the um, one of the crime uh, reform groups with Microsoft is trying to create a universal data program that allows uh, there. Um, you can't develop statistical information that helps inform programming and inform successes unless you have universal languaging. And so they're in the process of trying to, to, to work on that program and develop it along with all sorts of nonprofits. And so, unfortunately, with um, statistics, we had a really hard time finding the answer to your question because it isn't universally um, acknowledged, recognized, and or universally um, um, implemented. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I, I might add, if I may, I know here in Colorado, we do have specific programs that are VOEG, which is, in, in some cases, um, an addition to a victim offender process of some sort um, in that it provides that space that's safe, um, as shown in your beautiful film of Sonia Shah, you know, sitting and supporting a circle process that, you know, and she describes it really beautifully. And I know that that's unique um, and kind of in a way separate from you know, bringing surrogates or victims themselves together with um, persons who have, have harmed and done violent harms. Um, so 
Um, Aaron, do you want to go back to the question and start us out on this key thread that Jamie so beautifully described? Um, the now only that I've way bought Catherine and Troy some time, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's a very powerful question and, and, and a question that, you know, it's not the first time we've had. The way out of is through is really about it's walking towards what's painful and into what's painful to process through it and not about walking away or um, um, not acknowledging kind of the, the harm that you've caused, the harm you've experienced. And it is a long process, as we just identified, this intensive program um, that it allows access to that. But the, but the transformation um, that happens in that process is so remarkable, the fact that we don't do it and continue um, on our retributive uh, system of justice is, is just mind-blowing to me. You said a big word. You said acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. I'd, like, I'd like to just finish um, with your time on this question with one more, if I may, around the role of acknowledgement and how, how that's a huge turnkey piece in differentiating between the punitive route and the restorative healing, um, humanizing route. It is. It's kind of a rhetorical statement in a way, but like, what do you see as, as like the critical element or elements that differentiate uh, a restorative process and a punitive process. What, do, what is this program and these, these types of programs doing in your thought that punitive justice just simply cannot, either by law or, you know, by, by the fact of, you know, stipulations or otherwise? I think that the key factor is that punitive justice depends on the false premise that punishment will change behavior, that the punishment will, and the infliction of that pain will somehow miraculously correct, undo, and modify past and future behavior. Rehabilitative programming mm. and restorative justice is about acknowledging not just the harms that you've caused, but maybe the harms that have, that have were, were against you that changed that belief. And so I think that really it's about this, our, our criminal justice system as it stands for simply just inflicting punishment, we know doesn't change behavior. Spanking your kid on the bottom is not going to change whether they stick their tongue out at you next time. They may fear you, and rethink how they're going to do that action or whether they will do that action again, depending on the circumstances. But it is not corrective or modifying behavior, future behavior. It's just that's, that's just a logical fallacy to think that that's the case. Mm. Thank you. Um, Sujata Balaga really dived into it so eloquently, as she always is. Um, so grateful that she was willing to be a part of this film. Her work is extraordinary, and just a quick shout-out to Impact Justice and the fact that she was uh, recently awarded the MacArthur Fellowship in Restorative Justice. So congratulations to Sujata 
Um, yeah. Her selfless work is extraordinary. I want to take a quick station break and thank everybody that's with us. Remind you that this is an interactive program tonight. Please submit a question in the Q&A tab. We're looking over in the chat, too, for comments and questions, trying to address anything that comes up over there as well. You can find hot links out to theprisonwithin.org on the webcast page, as well as a linked uh, press release and bio info. Um, so let's let's come back. Um, I want to invite everybody to also join uh, our e-news list at restorativejusticeontherise.org. There's a pop-up form. You can also connect with us on Facebook under the same name as our podcast, as well as over at Twitter, RJOnRise1. We're posting a lot of information about national and international work in the field and trying to elevate the movement overall and provide uh, media blasts on topics such as what we have here tonight, these extraordinary people behind this extraordinary film. So thank you, everybody, for being here. Put your questions in now. We'll try and get to some here in just a bit. And go to prison, theprisonwithin.org. Um, so let's, let's go to, to you, Catherine, um, if you would be willing to come back again um, a little bit, if you'd like to add to that um, thread that Jamie brings, the only way out is through, and again, how that applies to the overall nature of what we call restorative justice work as a really urgent response to the punitive approach to justice in the United States. Sure, sure, thank you. Um, you know, I, I really think the only way out is through uh, applies to everything. It applies to all of us. You know, in in my own life, if there's a place I'm stuck and in pain, you know, I can't go around it. I have to go in it. And that's painful, right? And that's how you kind of get to the other side. And, you know, it applies to both on a personal and a collective level, I think. You know, right now we're stuck in a punitive system of mass incarceration, and the only way that we're going to get out of it is if we go in it and unpack it. And that is painful because it really requires an examination of, our history of institutionalized disenfranchisement of millions of people, you know, it requires a dialogue of race and class and capitalism and intergenerational trauma and privilege, you know, it requires us to stop really and create new systems and give a context to every situation instead of just punishing and shoving everything under the rug, you know, right now, we're going around everything instead of through it. I mean, it's starting, mm. starting to change. I don't want to sound so bleak. But, um, you know, to me, that's what it means. It's, it's individual and it's collective. And so it starts on an individual level of, you know, kind of taking our own accountability for how we're part of these systems and then slowly stepping out and applying that into your surrounding community and going further and further. Mm. Troy, would you like to add to that at all? Thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, like 
you know, it's kind of like with your, the earlier, the question you used somewhat earlier as far as just people are trying to develop sort of this universal language or universal way of talking about things. And, and in a sense, you know, it's like it sounds good, but it, there's also something very, like, problematic with trying to force everybody to think universally about one accepted format or one accepted, like, language a way of dealing with something. It just, it makes it harder. So, and I'm, the reason why I'm saying it is because Jamie, like, coined this phrase, the way out is through. And for, for what that really meant, in the other areas you hear people talk about um, sitting in the fire. You're, and And so for me, what it means is that, like, you have to sit with your emotional state. You have to be with it. A lot of times in order for us to get away from the things that we feel, and what we've been through, we run from it. We run from it. We run around it. We dig a hole. We try to do all these things to avoid what it is that we're feeling. And the only way that we can actually overcome it is to go right through it, to face it, to confront it, right, um, and to be with it, right? So when, mm-hmm. that, when you hear about this phrase, the way out is through, that means I can't mm-hmm. run from it. I can't figure out my way outside of this box by trying to climb over it or dig a wall or build a wall or do all this other stuff. Like, I have to face it. I have to go through it. I have to go um, Vogue. Being in Vogue for a year, and I I participated in Vogue and I facilitated Vogue, and then I started training the trainers to participate in Vogue. And one thing about it is that you have to be able to um, go through it. It is a process. And we understand that. And for Jamie, when she says the way out is through, meaning that you have to go through a process. And, of course, this is my take on on her lover. Um, You have to go through a process in order to overcome the harm and trauma that we've experienced. That's the only way that you're going to get past it is to go, is to walk through it, to be with it. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't get through Oakland. I can't get through Oakland if I don't drive through it. Fly, you know, I, I got to go through its airspace some kind of way. You know? It reminds me of the Dimension 2 um wisdom, which, you know, all of his experience with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and an advocate for, you know, restorative justice, really. I mean, he's a global advocate. And he points right to that wound. And he says, if you don't go to that wound, there's a wound there. You know it's there. You you need to put some balm on it and salve on it. And to do that, that requires acknowledging the wound. Or else you're not going to know how to put the balm and to put Mm -hmm. attention. That, That awareness and wisdom is so critical, it appears, uh, and it sounds like that's what you're pointing to. Is we, have to we have to acknowledge that it's there and then be in it, cleanse it and cleanse it through dialogue and cleanse it through um, truth-telling and feeling safe to do that. So um, while I've got you, Troy, I'd like to, to talk about something else, uh, something that you say in the film that I think is really important. I know we have about 10 minutes I'd like I'd like to just um, bring up a statement that you make. 
you say in the film, and again, as an, a formerly incarcerated person, you, you ask, which one of me do you want coming home? I'm paraphrasing. And mm-hmm. so I, w- I wonder if you would share with us what you mean by that statement and how that points back to punitive, criminogenic, recycling, or restorative healing avenues. Right. So it's like over the past 40 years or so, um, criminal just- the criminal justice system has sought to lock people up and punish people and sort of as a deterrent for crime. And 40 years later, we realize and we're realizing that this concept just hasn't worked. And so it's kind of like adding on to this misnomer that you can take somebody who has had trauma, who has dealt with a host of trauma and problems in their life, you can take them, lock them away in a cage, you can put them in that cage for 10, 20, 30, and in some cases 50-plus years and act like that in and of itself is going to um, resolve the issues that we face um, with criminal activity in this country, right? Or you can take somebody and get them access to the resources that they actually need in order to transform their life, and we can see how that part works. And so when people were, like, trying to punish me or when people were being brutal with me and telling me not to be brutal with others, that didn't work for me. What worked for me is when someone gave me some empathy and they got to empathize with the little boy that had been hurt in my youth. Like, that is what transformed my life. Like, that is what helped me, right? And so when Mm. I do that, I sort of put myself in the position of all the other men and women or human beings who who are facing this situation and need access to resources, right? Because the truth is we're coming home. People are coming home from prison. And society has to answer that question. Like, if you, how do you, like, if you just beat your kid and lock the kid in the closet, do you really think that's going to change the kid's behavior, or is it actually going to make them worse? I mean, it's, it's, we almost, we can see that if I phrase it like that. But can we see that with the human beings that we're locking away in cages, assuming that just because we put them in a cage and we don't have to look at them, that they, they their problems are dealt with? Like, mm. you know, it just, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it just seems, it, it seems like a no-brainer to me. And, it, and and that question really sums it up. Who do you want coming home? Right. If right. you really want to sum it up, thank you. I want to I want to talk about one other point you make. really important because you want to translate the power of this. I'm sure, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute with Catherine and Aaron. But there are ways film is going to inspire practical action even beyond the, the Vogue program. Um, you talked about at the end of the film that you can't turn time um, to prevent the same from happening to others, which you're already sharing in what we've been talking about tonight. You make a critical statement about incarcerated persons' knowledge of how the overall criminal justice 
system can be prepared. So I'd like you to um, share about that statement and tell us about how you see that playing out practically. Like, how's that going to play out, or is it already? And 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 let me understand you quick, because the, the the mic broke up a little bit, so I didn't quite hear all of your question. Could you repeat it for me, please? Yeah, I'm sorry about that, Troy. Um, so basically, you had said towards the end of the film that even though you can't turn back time, you prevent the same from happening to others, and you talked about how critical it is for incarcerated persons and their knowledge and absolutely of, um, needs to, they need to be included in how we we right. figure out care of this system. Right. So could you tell Absolutely. us how you're seeing that play out and what you want to see play out? So, absolutely. So, um, like, there is, we have a lived experience, right? Like, people have, people go to school to learn how to do social work or learn how to be a therapist or to learn how to do certain, like, things in life, right? Um, they go to school to learn to be a criminologist or whatever, right? And, you, you know, that's two, four, six, eight, or, you know, sometimes 12 or more years um, in college, right? I, I spent 25 years in the prison system, and I didn't just sit there and stare at walls. Like, I actually picked up a book. I actually studied myself. I actually, like, became a paralegal. I actually, like, there were a lot of and on top of that, I have a lived experience. I, when I come home and I go to the block where I grew up at, there's an instant level of credibility that I have with them because they understand that I have an added level of experience. And just here recently, talking to my, my homeboys where I grew up at, you know, I asked one of them, I said, it's 25 years later, and we still doing the same thing. Right? Don't y'all see this as problematic? And they was like, it is, but what else we gonna do? Right? And so, um, so what, what they were able, what I was able to do was to reach them through a conversation that somebody else could not even have with them. I mean, that's just short of what I'm saying. I was able to, I'm able to have certain conversations with certain people and provide certain levels of insight that nobody else can do. You know why? Because you don't know them, and you're not on the block with them, and they're not going to listen to you because you don't have the experience that they have, and so somebody has to reach them, right? It was it was men in blue inside the prison system who were able to reach me. I learned the truth about my history from a black man on the prison tier, right, where school didn't give me what I needed to learn. School didn't teach me what I needed to learn about my history, the truth about my history beyond slavery. You know, so so when you have like men who are and women who are returning home and returning to their communities, um, and and a lot of times oh, we we say it a lot. We hear men say, "I want to come home. I want to do something from." And for whatever reason, society hasn't believed. But now there's enough of us home, and I'm watching the work. I'm watching the movement across this country. I'm watching the work that formerly incarcerated men and women are doing across this country, and it's inspiring, and it's inspiring me to even do more 
people are watching me and the work that I'm doing, right? My young homies are watching me about this film, and they want me to down and turn around and do a documentary about life where we grew up at, right? And I'm telling them, yeah, I'll do one, but it has to have a restorative process to it. And they're like, what's that? So now I get to engage them in what the restorative process mm-hmm. is, right? Other other than that, they're not getting it from anywhere else. So that that's the point, and that's my my passion, and that's my involvement. Thank you so much, Troy. I'd like to talk to Catherine and Aaron. And let's take five more minutes to tonight. I think it's really essential to from your story to open up the question to Aaron and Catherine both. What practical applied actions would you like to see or have already seen this film inspire? Um, Catherine or Aaron, either one, go ahead and take the first. Hmm. Um, Well, I think one of the surprising ones we had, we had a fundraising um, screening because it's expensive to do the film festival circuit. Um, And we showed the film to some folks who honestly, when they walked in the room said, you're not going to change my mind. Um, And when they left, they were hugging Troy. Their minds, their, the the humanity, the, the, the reality that they can see themselves in the very same seats that these men are sitting in in circle is such an impactful takeaway from the film. And it's not, because we're trying to say, oh gosh, everyone could be a, could be bad. That's not the takeaway at all. Um, the takeaway is we all are good, and we all have this this, this truth and in humanity inside of us that is that is beautiful. And um, mm-hmm. Catherine once said, we can all do the most beautiful. We we are all capable of doing the most beautiful acts, and also the 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 worst. And we have to have a reality and understanding that that juxtaposition exists in every single one of us. We can't us versus them. Anyone could do that but me, because that's not true unless you've sat in those shoes or been in that situation, had that history, had that story, that background that changed how you approach or how you experience different situations and circumstances. And mm. that was powerful. Look at look at what Dion says in the film. Again, you know, for folks that are listening who haven't seen it, Dion said that when she was seeking her death and misery, I'm sorry, when she was seeking her solace in the death and misery of another human being, she realized she was no different than the very man she was trying to put behind bars. She was just as complicit in the murder of another human being when she was seeking death row conviction um, for the man who murdered her husband. And that's Mm -hmm. really, you know, when her mind changed, she realized that wasn't going to heal it. The promise of public safety can't be delivered when you have a punitive system. And so for us, I think, well, for me personally, that's really what I want people to see and take away. Um, Catherine? Yeah, um, I, 
you know, so yeah, we got a lot of really wonderful reactions out of Santa Barbara where people were saying that it was really causing them to change their minds and think about people in prison differently. Um, I heard feedback that they wanted to start going into prisons, volunteering in prisons. You know, I, I think that most, you know, the media and other films give a lot of attention to people who are in prison who, and it's horrible, you know, who have, you know, sold a bag of marijuana or something or some crack on the street. And, you know, now they're in prison for like 40, 50, 60 years. And there's a lot of compassion and there's a lot of attention and focus on those cases, but not so much um, compassion and empathy for people who have committed acts of violence. And, you know, certainly not so much for people who have taken another person's life as all the characters in our film in our film have. So um, I think just, you know, a change, a change in perspective, changes in societal perceptions, I, I think can go far because that's where it starts. But I would also really like to see the film eventually tour inside prisons, not only for the people, the populations in the prison, but also the administrators um, and the people that work in the prison. I think that that could be a really effective place for the film to be as well. And I, I want to say that these programs are so unique to San Quentin and some of the other prisons out there, most don't have programming. I mean, the vast majority don't have programming. And Sujatha goes into kind of the details and the history of that in the film, but this works, yet it's not out there. So it's really important that um, that this gets out there to administrators and other other um, incarcerated individuals who don't have access to the programming. Catherine and Aaron, do you want to just share a bit about um, as we wrap up tonight? How can people bring a screening? I'm assuming that that's an availability at this point, but can, can you just talk in general, like what are the ways right now that people can get more involved with this film? Um, well, we will be, we'd like you to follow us on social media. Um, that is going to be your quickest information. Um, and so you can find all the links to social media on our website, theprisonwithin.org. The Film is currently doing the film festival circuit, and so we do not have um, community screenings yet that are available, um, mostly because okay. it would ruin our eligibility for the film festivals. Um, but if you send us a note, we're keeping a list. Um, we have a long list. <laughs> uh, but when that opportunity is, is available, it will be up on our website. And um, if you follow us on the social media, you will be able to find out upcoming um, film festivals that we will be at. We will be opening the Greater Farmington Film Festival right outside of Detroit, Michigan on March 19th. So if you're in Michigan, um, please join us. There are some other festivals that have not announced, although we know we will be there. And so we can't reveal that publicly. But um, as soon as we can, again, that'll be posted on our social media. Yes, but definitely, you know, if, if anyone out there is interested in hosting a private screening, a community screening, just contact us. Um, yeah. Our contact nice. information is there on our website, on our Facebook page. You can contact us, contact us through our Facebook page as well. 
great. Thank you. I know um, we need to close up tonight, but I'd like to leave room for a few closing concise thoughts, if you'd like. Um, I'm opening up Troy's mic again, and I want to apologize to, to those of you that had some late incoming questions. I promise to get those questions over to Troy, Aaron, and Catherine on your behalf. Um, so we'll make sure that happens. And I also want to thank Leonard. Um, thank you, Leonard, for letting us know more about the um, way to get a hold of the OEG at insightprisonproject.org. That's info at insightprisonproject.org. And um, he, he wanted to also thank you, Troy, Catherine, and Aaron, for getting the message about the healing power of Vogue and the participants that are making the decision to do the difficult work of accountability, integrity, and responsibility. And he wants to remind everyone that, um, yes, uh, we talk about hurt people, hurt people, and also talk about healing people, heal people. So um, thanks, Leonard, for that comment. Um, so let's go to closing thoughts. Um, Troy, did you have anything you want to leave us with? Um, I guess I'll just say that, you know, um, how appreciative I am for um, the change that I see happening, like, across this country. There's There seems to be, like, a greater awareness of how our humanity is connected to each other. And I'm just – I'm appreciative of the listeners on the phone, um, you know, um, thank, thank you, Molly, for hosting us on your – um, podcast and, you know, of course, you know, big love to Catherine and Aaron and, um, you know, keep a lookout for us. We, we're going to be doing some, some great stuff and, and things are headed our way. <laughs> Thank you so much, Troy. And of course that's Troy Williams, who is both subject and cinematographer of the prison within and 2018 Soros justice fellow among many other things. <laughs> Erin, any closing thoughts? Well, um, one of the things I, I I regret a little bit today was that um, we're having this lovely live podcast during the uh, debate. So I would say my closing thought would be stay involved and active in your community. Um, pay attention to the issues and make sure to use your voice. We really are the land of many one, and that one vote matters, and that can impact um, – the access to resources and, and funding for programs like this um, and, you know, who our leaders are, both in our communities and in our um, in the poli political sphere, um, really are, are who's going to drive the change that we need in this country. So, And I just want – thank you, Erin. I just want to reiterate that that's Erin Kenway, and she's the producer, writer, and executive producer. And she has such a bundle of diverse experiences, including a survivor of – of violent crime, and she's an attorney um, with a JD from Seattle University School of Law. She's also a certified mediator with the National Order of the Barristers, and I just love the fact that you really focused in on representing economically disadvantaged victims of domestic violence in civil dissolution and child custody cases, and that's only just a small portion of the incredible work that you're doing, Erin. So thank you again, for being here tonight. And I'm really Thank looking you, forward to seeing this film fly and do, it's going to do incredible stuff in this world. I can just feel it. So thank you, Erin. Catherine, 
come back to you, and then we'll close out. Any closing sure. thoughts? Sure. Um, yeah, to end on a positive note, like kind of to build on what Troy was saying, is when I first started making this film, you know, independent documentaries take a long time. So it was really about six years ago that I started this with my partner, Massimo, who's also a cinematographer in the film. And um, when I first started telling people my concepts of the film, what I wanted to do with the film, it was the blankest of blankest stares, you know, like I was speaking Mandarin, basically, really even talking about compassion and empathy Mm -hmm. for uh, people who commit violence. And I really noticed that through the years, as, the, as things have changed, as, um, you know, I don't, Black Lives Matter, as science is coming out about uh, brain development in children and how our brains development and how trauma impacts that, you know, the faces started to be a little bit more open <laughs> to, to what I was saying. And um, I really think that, yeah, the, we're really ripe now, right now. The zeitgeist is really ripe. We have a lot of information to really take in and to start creating positive change in the world. Mm. And that's Catherine Hervey, director, producer, and writer of The Prison Within. And as I've mentioned um, in the opening and um, just the introduction to our our time tonight, she also holds a JD from Loyola Law School. And of interest, um, prior to law school, she published and edited Shades of Contradiction, which was a was and maybe is still a nationally distributed arts and culture magazine dedicated to promoting critical thinking and creative action. I love that. And um, she's produced, directed, and art directed short docs and narrative films. Um, long list can be found and all the details of the extraordinary people involved in this film, again, at theprisonwithin.org. On behalf of Restorative Justice on the Rise um, and all of you who have been with us tonight representing quite a few different continents, in fact, um, those of you listening on the podcast after the fact, thank you for being a critical and integral part of Restorative Justice on the Rise as a global community raising awareness towards solutions to justice in America, but worldwide as well. Thanks for participating tonight. Thanks for coming. We'll see you again very soon on the next dialogue. Good night, everyone.